So having a fully typed web app just drastically improves developer productivity in ways that not a lot of other things can. And welcome to PodRocket, a web development podcast brought to you by LogRocket. LogRocket combines session replay, error tracking, and product analytics to help software teams solve user-reported bugs, find issues faster, and improve conversion and adoption. Uh, you can get a free trial today at LogRocket.com. I'm Noel, and joining us again today is Kent C. Dodds, speaker, teacher, trainer, who is actively involved in the open source community. Spends a lot of time working on Remix and talking about Remix. He's been on a couple times. I've talked to him before. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much. Yeah, I have been on a couple times. I really appreciate that to keep inviting me back. So I, I guess it wasn't that bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you're a good guest to have on. Easy to talk to and a lot to talk about. So it's always a pleasure. If you would, if people missed those episodes or they're just tuning in, can you give us your little one or two minute spiel about yourself, your work and what you're spending time on right now? Yeah, sure. So I am a full-time software developer and I work for myself primarily as a teacher. So I do develop software. I'll quite, I write a lot of code, but I spend a lot of my time teaching people how to write quality software. And my goal is just to maximize my positive impact on the world by helping other people to maximize theirs. And so the things that people might know me from, testingjavascript.com and epicreact.dev. I'm currently working on epicweb.dev. And that is basically everything that I know about web development in a course. So the article that we're going to be talking about today is a post on the epicweb.dev that people can take a look at. As far as other things I'm involved in, I am pretty active in open source and uh, was a part of the Remix founding for a little while. I was a full-time teacher, then joined up with Remix for a while, and then went back to full-time teacher right around the same time when Remix was acquired by Shopify. And yeah, still very much involved in that. And I am co-organizing RemixConf as well. So if anybody's listening to this and you're interested in coming out to RemixConf in Salt Lake City, I'd love to see you there. It sounds like you're juggling quite a bit. But yeah, let's dig into the, the talk. Fully typed web apps, is that the title? Or I guess, what is the title? Yeah, fully typed web apps is the, the title of the blog post. And uh, yeah, it just some thoughts that I've been having about what the web is kind of moving to, or at least developing for the web as my observations as a Remix developer or developer who works on Remix, Remix apps and seeing what the general trends in the web world are. Just typing has kind of become a big thing. Yeah, I feel like this fully typed end-to-end -end thing isn't a totally new concept, but I feel like we're at a new iteration of it right now. I guess when you're talking about end-to-end -end type safety, what do you mean specifically and why is it so valuable? Yeah, so JavaScript is a typed language. There are types in JavaScript, but there's no type checking in JavaScript itself. Certainly no runtime type checking. We've always needed to have linters and now we have TypeScript and Flow typed as well that run basically like linters. So they're still not runtime, they run statically. So they, they do this as part of the your build process or whatever. And so because of the fact that JavaScript has no runtime type checking, we haven't really been able to get end-to-end -end type checking or type safety in the web for like ever until the last few years when TypeScript has kind of picked up. 
And the trick with typing on the web is the web has a lot of boundaries to your application. And in the blog post, I talk about a couple of these different boundaries that we have. I have this line here where I say the secret to fully typed web apps is typing the boundaries. So you can think of a couple like parsing some JSON out of local storage. That would be a boundary. So any like IO or input output sort of thing reading inputs from a form. So the, the DOM is another boundary that we have. So both like reading things out of the DOM as well as writing. And then the web fetch API, also another boundary making HTTP calls, reading things from the URL, even like search parameters, or if you're using some sort of param parser, that is technically a boundary also. And then we have the node side of things in JavaScript as well. So reading stuff from the file system, making database queries, and when we receive a request, parsing out the data from that request. So all of these different boundaries need to be typed because when you call a function, you that function can have a certain signature and it's really easy to spend a day learning TypeScript to type simple functions. And then when you call it, if you call it with the wrong parameters, then your the TypeScript compiler or the type checker that you're using is going to say, hey, this is incorrect or it is correct. And you don't really get that when you run into these boundaries. And so you have to kind of patch that up. And the reason is because you might say, well, I know that this file exists and I know the contents of the file. So like, why can't TypeScript just know that or trust me or whatever? But at any moment, somebody could change the contents of that file. And there's no way for your program to prevent that. For a long time, it was very difficult to get this full end-to-end -end type safety that we have because there are just so many boundaries on the web. And now that we're, we've got the technologies that we have now and typed fully end-to-end -end typed web apps is such a beautiful developer experience and makes for much more bug-free applications. Yeah, I mean, is it reasonable to think of boundaries like this as anywhere data is coming into the runtime, anywhere your code is pulling in data from an external source, whatever that may be? Mm -hmm. Yep, precisely. You can consider that from the backend perspective as well. When you said anytime data is coming in, I was like, well, maybe also out, but not quite out. Like, it doesn't matter. You send whatever you want to. But if we're talking about a full stack application, then yeah, your node server or whatever other server that that request that the front end is sending to it, that's not data output, that's actually data input to the node server. So yes, precisely. It's anytime data comes into your application from an external source. Gotcha. So what are the tools that devs can use to make this kind of more safe? Like when you're parsing a file, for example, how do you know that the, the data in that file or whatever data in JSON is the type you expect it to be or your code expects it to be? Yeah, super question. So first of all, I think it's really good to just embrace the fact that you do have boundaries to your application. And so understanding the different types of boundaries that you have is important. And then finding the right tools that you can use, or maybe not necessarily tools, but just strategies that you can use to patch up those boundaries is useful. So there are three different things that I say that you can sidestep these limitations of the boundaries. So the first is to write type guards and type assertion functions. This is just built into TypeScript. And I believe that Flow has this capability as well. Though TypeScript has definitely won in this contest of the typed JavaScript and frankly, of anything that compiles to JavaScript, nothing mm -hmm. is even close to TypeScript. And in fact, I would suggest that we are now at the point where a majority of new applications that are being actively developed are either using TypeScript or moving to TypeScript, which is 
just phenomenal personally. So anyway, you write type guards and type assertion functions. The second is to use a tool that generates the types. That gives you really great confidence, like 98, 99% confidence that the types are right. So like type guards and type assertion functions, that's like 100%. If the code gets through or the code path gets through these, then we know for sure that the types are correct. Using a tool to generate types at some sort of build time or something doesn't get you quite that same level of confidence, but it's like pretty dang good. And you should be able to trust it most of the time. <laughs> so it's easy, right? Like you get it set up and you're like, oh, your types are just getting spit out. Yeah, it's really convenient. Yeah. Yes, precisely. Yeah, you have to measure the level of convenience versus the amount of confidence. And I would say for the most part, generating those types is like, pretty good. <laughs> then the third one is to help inform TypeScript of your conventions and configuration. But because a lot of the time you've got your program that is expecting URL in a certain way, and, and you know that your parser is going to parse it so that you pass in this URL and it gives you back an object of all the params and you just know how that works. And so you can somehow inform TypeScript of that convention and how that works so that you can get some type assistance there. And that works pretty well, provided that your conventions are well enforced. And most of the time they are like, if that fails, then it's just like a regular bug and regular software anyway. And so those three approaches, the type guards and type assertions, generating types and informing TypeScript of your conventions are the main categories of how we can patch up these boundaries. Yeah, and so I think at the end there, you kind of spoke to an, an interesting nuance to this is like, if a runtime error occurs, parsing these things, at some point, there's like nothing one can do, right? And like, we're into the realm of runtime error handling. Is most of this post kind of covering like how to handle that? Or are you mainly focused on what to do during dev time to make sure that your assumptions are correct and you're not like introducing bugs in inadvertent ways? So runtime errors are going to happen for sure. And with the exception of the type guards and assertion functions approach to this, that's kind of a special case. But the other two approaches of informing TypeScript or your conventions or generating types, they don't give you quite the same amount of confidence because your program is programmed assuming that those things are correct. And so if they fall out of date in some way, then your program is no longer technically type safe. Like the types will check off and everything's fine, but the data flowing into your application is going to be different from what the types said they were. So you're probably going to experience a runtime error. And so that's an important thing to call out when you're taking those approaches so that you can make sure that you handle unexpected errors well. And those things will happen. We, by definition, they're unexpected. And so you can't really plan anything other than just that you handle them. And so, yeah, but as far as like type assertions and things, those are things that you're planning for. You say, if this object has an ID and a first name and a last name and an address, then I know like, it's kind of like, if it looks like a duck and sounds like a duck and walks like a duck, it's probably a duck. And so we can treat it like a duck and that's fine. And so in that world, you say, oh, if, if this is a duck, then I can do this thing. If it's not a duck, then I will handle that. And so now you're in the realm of it's not quite a runtime error because although it may be unexpected, you are at least you have to write the code that says what happens if this is not what I expect it to be. Now, assertion functions are a little different because um, that's going to throw an error. A type guard will be able to check. An assertion function will just throw an error and says, hey, this isn't what I expected. And so, yes, again, you are going to want to handle those uh, gracefully. But the fact is that you can and, and that you're like thinking about it when you're building these. 
But I think it's important also to just call out why this matters so much uh, as well. Like, why do we even care? Because it is not a trivial amount of effort for the tool authors. As far as the users of these tools, you definitely want to be aware of it and thinking about it, but it's not as hard for you. <laughs> the tool yeah. authors are the ones putting in a ton of work to make this work nicely. So the reason this is so valuable is just because a really good way to reduce the amount of cognitive load that you have as a developer tracking the data as you're writing your code. So you get this argument, what are the properties it has on it? Before I was using a typed language, I, I guess I shouldn't say that because I learned Java first. That was my first thing. That was a typed language, but like totally different experience yeah. over there. So when I was just doing JavaScript, what I normally would do is I just put a console log, whatever the thing was, and then run it and then see what it looks like so that I can do my stuff. As really did not work well. Uh, especially if this was like a response from an API or something. And now I have to call the API to see what the data looks like and maybe notice that it's different from the docs or something right, right. too. So having a fully typed web app just drastically improves developer productivity in ways that not a lot of other things can. So if anybody's listening to this and they're like, oh, that sounds like a lot of work, like just believe me, it is going to save work in the long run. This is an investment in your productivity and way, way more valuable than your selection of font or theme in your editor, which people have no problem spending plenty of time setting up. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yes, I think that it's super duper worth putting a little bit of this effort into. Just a quick pause here to remind you that PodRocket is brought to you by LogRocket. LogRocket can help you understand exactly how users are experiencing your digital product with session replay, error tracking, product analytics, frustration indicators, performance monitoring, UX analytics, and more. Machine learning algorithms service the most impactful issues affecting your users so you can spend your time building a better product rather than hunting through tools. Solve user-reported issues, find issues faster, and improve conversion and adoption with LogRocket. Yeah, people kind of lose the forest for the trees a little bit when we're down here. Like everybody's talking about, you know, like talking about type checking, like why we're doing all this and simplification and justification and all that stuff. But yeah, I think it's one of those things. It's hard once you're in the realm of doing it for long enough, you kind of forget what it was like before, right? Like when you didn't have all these nice guardrails making sure things were the way that they were. I think there there is a little bit more in that space though of like error handling, like what the role is. And there's like a whole path we could go down about like error handling is control flow and all that stuff versus like where that should belong in a well-structured code base. But I, I think maybe we should dig a little bit in just for people who haven't kind of spent time in this. You're talking about like the difference, the differences in type guards and assertions and like how those might manifest in the code you're writing day to day. Can you expand on that a little bit? So they're very related. And in fact, you can even use a type guard to help you build an assertion function if you want to. But um, like to bring it down to the easiest level I can think of, let's say you have a variable and you're not sure what it is, but you think that it's a string and you expect it to be a string. And so like maybe this is something that you made a request to some endpoint that says whether or not a service is healthy. And all it sends back is a string of OK or error or something. And so you're pretty sure you know what this thing is. You just want to make sure that it is either error or OK. And so the type guard would say it is basically just variable triple equals string OK. 
So you say if that, then inside of your if block, boom, you know that that variable is okay. And so now you can continue with whatever needs to happen for that. And then you could switch on it and say, you know, case okay, case error, whatever. And then the default would be, this is unexpected, like, whoops, something is weird, throw an error, display it, something. And so that's the basic idea of a type guard. Now, it's pretty frequent or pretty common to turn this into a function. And so you have a function like is user. And so then in that, it's going to accept what you think might be an object, but you don't really know. So you just say function is user obj colon any. So you just say it is like anything or you could do unknown, but that can be a little bit tricky. And I don't think we need to get into the weeds for that. So this is actually one of the few places where I say any is actually better than unknown just because it's a little easier and mm -hmm. it doesn't actually make any practical difference. And then you would say colon obj is user, a user type. And that what that is saying is the return type for this function says that the object that is provided is this type. And so inside of the body of that function, you're going to say type of obj equals object. Obj is not null because null is an object because that's ridiculous. I don't, JavaScript yeah. is hilarious. <laughs> and then you're just checking properties like type of obj.id equals string, type of obj.firstname equals string, and all of those things. As, as specific as you care to get the level of confidence you're looking for. Now I can say if is user, maybe user, <laughs> then mm -hmm. I'll be certain that that object is a user and TypeScript can use that to know that like, oh, I can autocomplete stuff for people and I can type check. So when I say maybe user dot first name, that, that will auto autocomplete for me. And then in the else block, I can say, oh, like something weird is happening, console log or, or send a report or something like that. So that's what a type guard is. It's just a little bit of code that in helps narrow the type down from something that's really wide as like unknown or any that's like, who knows what this thing is down to something really narrow. This is called type narrowing. So then assertion functions or, or type assertions, even it doesn't have to be functions. It's just a type assertion is one that will throw an error when it is what you don't expect. So that's why I say you can actually build a type assertion out of the type guard, because you could say if is user, maybe user, whatever. And then in your else case, you throw an error. It says this isn't a user. So that would be a type assertion. I actually hear people talking about that type of thing as a type assertion. So there may be people mm -hmm. who disagree, but more commonly, you would find people talking about type assertions with regard to functions because there's a special syntax for this, at least in TypeScript. So a type assertion in TypeScript is written where it's actually kind of similar to the way that you write a type guard function, where you say the return type asserts and then obj is user or whatever. And so then what that allows you to do is you say, well, if we get to the point where this object is not a user, then the rest of this code shouldn't even run. I don't even want the rest of this code to run. And so we'll just throw an error instead. And so what that allows you to do is just to say, maybe require user. I typically will name my assertion functions or prefix them with require just so I can it visually says, hey, like I require this to happen. And so yeah, require user, I pass the thing that I think is a user, and then the rest of my code can just assume that's a user because TypeScript knows it's impossible to get past that function call if this object is not a user. And then there's actually a really helpful utility that I use quite often called invariant. It's a generic utility that allows you to pass Oh, I forget what their first argument is called, but it's basically just a thing that you expect to be true so result triple equals okay, or the 
error instance of capital error or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then the second argument is the error message that you want to have thrown if that is not the case. I use this fairly frequently to do a, a pretty quick and easy type assertion for, especially for simple things like strings and things that I'm like, I am really, really positive that this is what it is, but we'll just make sure and have TypeScript help us with that a little bit. Do you find yourself putting those assertions like on every boundary or are you kind of thinking about the context of a boundary, the likelihood of certain errors there? Or is the, is the type, do you find the type system necessitating that you have an assertion or a type guard kind of every time you have data coming in? So I think that it really depends on what your goals are and how important type strength is in your system. So if you're okay throwing an any here and there around your application, because this is just like a little toy that you're throwing together, then that's fine. It's not something I would want to maintain in the long term, but yeah, that, that's okay. But the fact is that around any boundaries that we've discussed, if you don't do some sort of type assertion like this, then you're going to run into a problem. So of course there's typecasting. So you can add as whatever at the end of whatever expression and just say, I'm pretty sure this is it, but I really try to avoid using as or any generic. Sometimes people will write a function that accepts a type. And then all that function does is it adds an as whatever type you passed in at the end of it. So you're like, you're fooling yourself without realizing you're fooling yourself. And I, I'd rather fool myself and know that I'm doing it. <laughs> and so I don't like using those kinds of generics, but I would much rather just have as and whatever and just say to whoever's reading it, I tricked the compiler and I know about it. I've made this decision and I know it's wrong. <laughs> you know? But, uh, but yeah, if I'm working on something where type strength is a really important thing to me, then yes, I have strict mode on, I have no implicit any. And so I do have to deal with all of the types at every boundary. And uh, this is probably as good a time as any to mention there are really great tools that en enable runtime type checking, which the type assertions and type guards are. And the best one that I've found, the one I enjoy the most is called Zod. And it's grown in popularity very quickly. It's awesome. Z-O-D dot dev is a fantastic tool that makes it really easy to build schemas that will have a particular shape or union. You can basically think of Zod as a mechanism for taking what you have in your head as a type and turning it into something that has runtime characteristics so you can do this runtime checking. Zod is a fantastic tool. If anybody is thinking, wow, that sounds like a lot of work to write a type assertion function for every single boundary of my app, then you're probably at the point where you should look into Zod. I think the impulse too for a lot of devs is like, well, it sounds like I'm doing the same kind of assertions, like I would be using the same kind of assertions all the time or the same kinds of assertions that everyone would be doing on every query string parameter right? Like ever parsed into that. It's like, yep, reach for one of these two. Like that's their whole purpose for existing. And yeah. can save one a lot of time. <laughs> how, about, how about like, I think that's a decent segue. How about uh, the, the stuff we kind of alluded to earlier, like type generation and informing of types. Let's talk about generation first, because I think we're right on the precipice there of how that might be time saving. The, the best example I can think of that I have personally used is Prisma. Prisma is a Node.js ORM that's not like any other ORM you've ever used. I know a lot of people cringe when they hear the word ORM, uh, but Prisma is not like the bad ones you've used, I promise. It's amazing. And one of the things that it does is you have a special schema file with specific syntax for Prisma for defining your tables and properties of those columns and all that. And then Prisma will take that and generate a client that is fully typed with a bunch of utility functions and stuff for finding and deleting and updating all that stuff. 
and that is incredibly well typed. And so it not only generates the runtime code for querying the specific tables. So you have your Prisma object dot user dot find many or whatever. And so there's the runtime characteristics there, but it also generates the types based on your schema as well. And so when you say, I want to select the ID and first name of all the users in my database who signed up in the last week, then the result that comes back is going to be an array of objects that have an ID of type string and a name of type string as well. And so it's able to do that because it's generating the types. And so there is a point in your development experience where after you update your code base with this new schema and you've generated the migration file and everything, you have this generating of the client phase where it will also generate the types. So that's a good example of of type generation. And there's a bunch of tools I'd like, I'd implore listeners, explore the space in which you're working and like whatever your tool chain is, there's probably someone who's doing some work here that's trying to use whatever context you're in to like do their best job of gleaning what those types are and informing your code and as easy to use as possible. But again, it is kind of domain specific sometimes. So go out and look around and you can probably find something. Or you can make it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or you become the maintainer. Yeah. And how about informing, which was the last bullet point of those initial three you listed? So informing of conventions uh, of the three, this is probably the easiest in some ways, but also like the least secure or, or strong. So like generating your types, your Good, so long as there are no bugs in the generation process and you don't make any changes without regenerating the types. And so if you have the right things in place and you know, okay, we upgraded the schema, we have to make sure we regenerate. And you could even write a PR bot that makes sure that there's never a change to the schema without a regenerating. Actually, the client is regenerated at build time. So that at least for as far as Prisma is concerned, that's how that works. But anyway, when you're teaching a convention, this is pretty safe. You just have to make sure that anytime you change the convention or anything, you make sure that you teach it the proper convention. So again, as long as you have things like no bugs in the convention and you're matching your convention properly, then this can be really awesome. The example that I use in the blog post, I'm talking about a single file in a Remix application where we have our loader function that's responsible for loading data. And then, and that can come from any source or whatever. But in my example, I'm pulling it from Prisma. So the, the cool thing that makes this completely end to end is that Prisma generates the types. So I patch up the boundary with the database and then Remix has this really cool feature to patch up the boundary between the backend code and the front end code, and that boundary is the network. And that's the loader gets the data and then it's supposed to send it on to the client. So the trick is because we've got a network there, there's actually no way to know for like 100% certain that something didn't happen in transit. Like the sun can send a beam of energy and hit your wire at just the right point to like flip a bit. <laughs> Weird things can happen. And I don't think that we should really plan for those things. I mean, you want to handle unexpected errors for sure, but I think that it's it's okay to assume that in a Remix context, if I return something from my loader, then I should be able to consume it in my UI as it was returned. Other things that are actually more practical issues that could arise is if you have some load balancer that perhaps changes the data, or you've got maybe not a load balancer, but like some service that stands between your server and the user. So like those kinds of things can happen. And so that's why runtime type checking is just a lot more strong. But I think that it's an okay 
compromise to make to say, I'm going to have a little weaker uh, type safety here just by like a tiny, tiny fraction weaker in favor of just how easy this is to get this type safety. So anyway, the use loader data is a hook that Remix exposes that will basically reach into Remix and, and grab the loader data that is specific to the route that you're on, the route that's rendering the component that's using this hook. And that use loader data is a generic function. So it accepts a type between those two angle brackets. And so for that, you specify type of loader. And so you're effectively passing the type of your loader. And thanks to Colin McDonald, who wrote Zod, an amazing developer, does really awesome stuff. Colin took the time to be able to infer what the return type is from the loader so that we can feed that into the TypeScript system so that when you're getting the return value from use loader data, you actually get that value fully typed based on whatever the loader is returning. And so you get full type safety across the network boundary. And then like you're using some typed backend or, or database like Prisma, you can get type safety from the database all the way to your UI. And, and with the ability, I have a demo in here that shows the ability to even do a find or a rename where you just like use the editor to say, hey, rename this variable and it renames everywhere, like both front end and back end. It's amazing. It's very, very cool. Yeah. So that that experience, it just, again, it makes for a really awesome developer experience and you avoid a lot of bugs. I feel like that's almost as good a point to send listeners home with as any. Is there anything else you want to kind of point people towards or implore them to check out in, in this space in particular? Yeah, I think another example that I think is important, I won't spend too much time on it, but typing your router is something that React Router doesn't currently have itself. There are tools that allow you to do this. And even like there's a linter plugin that will make sure that you're not linking to pages that don't exist in your route configuration and type generation tools that'll help you with that. But something that's really cool is what Tanner Linsley has done with TanStack Router. You are basically, you configure the router by like calling his special APIs and then you're it's able to derive all of the routes, the possible routes based on that configuration. So this is another example of informing the compiler of the available types. So people should take a look at that example. And, and that will definitely come to React Router as well eventually because it's just such a good idea. Other than that, I think that this is definitely something that's worth investing in. I do have an example, or like a demo, if anybody wants to play around with what it's like to have full type safety from one end of the stack to the other. I'll just spoiler alert, it's amazing. And if you <laughs> haven't experienced it yet, then I strongly advise you give it a shot. Well, thank you so much for coming online and chatting with me, Ken, again, it was, it was a pleasure as always. Hey, thank you, Noel. I really appreciate you giving me some of your time. And uh, yeah, I hope listeners go take a look at epicweb.dev. It's going to be a pretty big effort. And I, I think it's going to be a really good resource for people in the future. So give it a, a look. Of course, of course. Take it easy. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. <laughs>